Amen, amen. Let's thank the worship team this morning for leading us. Uh, I'm reminded as we um, sing those songs, like, I mean, I, I need that as much as anyone, and it's just great to be able to proclaim these truths about who God is, and it, it, regardless of, of what season you're in in life. And, uh, you know, good morning. I just want to welcome you to Christ Church. My name is Brian Beamett, who those of you who don't know me, um, I'm the lead pastor here, and um, you know, if you're newer to, to Christ Church, uh, we've been in the midst of this series called Kingdom Culture, and we're uh, really slowly and purposefully uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount uh, because um, we, we, we're doing this series because we're, we're kind of weary of, of our culture. Uh, I know many of you would probably say amen to that, and, and there's just a sense that as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, the gospel is offering us something through his word that that God wants to infiltrate. He wants the, the his culture to come in to our life and to our church and to press out the world's uh, culture. And um, so if you've got your Bibles out, get them open to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going verse by verse through these Beatitudes. Uh, today, Matthew 5 verse 7. But um, before we begin, I just um, sense so much in this message the fact that uh, God's got to do this work. The Spirit of God has got to move in our hearts on this subject that's in front of us. So let me just pray for us before we begin. Uh, God, I, um, I felt it unusually this morning. Um, my dependence, as I look at this passage, as I've studied this passage, as I think about this concept of mercy, that um, God, that we would understand it, not just in principle, but that it would infiltrate into our lives, the way that we think, the way that we respond to people. And um, so, God, I'm asking that you would break down some of the lies that we've learned from our culture so that we might be able to receive this truth and in it find a flourishing for our own life and our life together. So I just trust you with that, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, my lifetime, um, honestly, I've, I've never um, been uh, in a season like over the last three, four years where I've looked out at our culture and I've said, um, I think we are more contentious, uh, more divisive and judgmental than I've ever seen. And uh, in the last five years, phrases like cancel culture have become commonplace and into a culture that has a word like that that's so easily thrown around, it means that um, judgment is often quick and harsh. And listen, listen, there are situations where judgment can be appropriate and good, but too often, uh, if we're honest about assessing our culture, a judgment is rushed and mercy is rarely, if ever, considered. People in today's world, they... they uh, out of, out of honestly, I think sometimes a moral cowardice, uh, sit behind screens and release their judgment on anything that does not line up perfectly with their perspective or opinion. And I just don't think we're asking great questions about that, and I've been there. And, and the questions we need to ask are, are is there careful conversation that I'm, that I'm really engaging in to gain understanding before I conclude something? Too often the answer is No. Do we, do, we take, do we take the time to confront the person individually before launching sort of a, a venomous attack publicly? No, too often we don't even think about the person. 
Have we processed through as we sit in this culture what this is doing to our hearts and our minds and our souls and our relationships? Fortunately, I don't, I think, knows the answer. Are we processing how this culture that we, that we live in is, it might be contributing to our anxiety or our anger or our skepticism or our defensiveness? No, no, in this culture, judgment triumphs. The loudest voice wins and winning is the only goal. And into this culture, being right and winning is too often elevated above godliness. And, and it's why I think the right response, certainly one that I've been feeling this week, is that we should be grieving over the state of our culture. We should be grieving and discerning and wise because we're a product of the culture and it's influenced all of us. You're naive or blind if you think it hasn't. It's created a host of struggles and temptations. It exposes weaknesses in our own life and our identity and at times leads us to sin. We, we, we cannot allow, with God's goodness showcased in the way that it is, for, it, for, for, for God's truth to not pervade over the depravity of our own hearts. Our hope is the kingdom of God. And today in this message, Jesus is going to call you to the culture of his kingdom to offer you something better, something that will lead to a flourishing life, something that's way healthier than the, than the sort of refuse or the trash the world is offering. So I pray that you receive this truth, this encouragement from, from Jesus this morning, and, and I pray through the work of the Spirit of God that the very reality that we're talking about would be cultivated in your life, and it would create a kingdom culture in your life and then in our church. Matthew 5, 7, read it with me. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's start with blessed. We have every week. So God reinforced it multiple times. I think we need to learn it multiple times. This word blessed, let's review. The blessed should be translated flourishing. That's a right understanding of, of, the, of the dynamics and the depth of that word. Flourishing comes from actively and regularly being with Jesus, not from doing right actions. You flourish when you have a be attitude, an attitude that's dependent on being with Jesus. You know, that's where I grow. That's where I'm transformed. And this idea of being with Jesus comes by communing with him regularly, both individually and corporately. To get yourself into space consistently through your week where you can hear from his word, where you can speak with him in prayer. And where that you yield to the leading of his spirit so that the, those be attitudes can be manifest in you and you flourish in God's kingdom. This beatitude is focused on the subject of mercy. Kingdom culture is, is marked by a people who understand mercy and then out of that are merciful and then continue to receive mercy. It should be constantly flowing in the culture. And so the big move this morning is this. Um, spend your energy on receiving and showing mercy. Spend your energy here. We only have so much energy in a day, don't we? Someone's like, I know, about 9 o'clock. I'm like, done. Don't give me a hard task. Let's prioritize mercy. 
let's, let's ask as we walk into the truth of mercy, as we understand both the idea biblically and places to apply it, let's, let's challenge ourselves. What would our lives look like if we spent our energy on receiving and showing mercy instead of the posture of our culture? So, so if we're going to do that, we've got to start by processing God's revelation of mercy. Let's get a biblical framework or an understanding of mercy from Scripture. Let's get sort of a, a biblical theology. Uh, this message is going to feel a bit more like a workshop. We're going to introduce this topic of mercy, and then we're going to actually think about some ways this is played out in our lives and the way God could challenge us. So first, biblical picture of mercy. We're going to start in Psalm 86.15. There it, it says this. It says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. For some that have maybe uh, uh, been raised in a context where they've been like, man, that Old Testament God, he is really angry. Incorrect. Incorrect. That is a faulty theology. It's not the truth of what Scripture says. That Psalm 86.15, that comment about God is seen throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, God's people, even in the midst of insane rebellion, reminded of God's mercy and being drawn back to his heart because of his mercy. Psalm 86.15 proclaims it clearly. Luke 172 has as these these people as Jesus is entering into the world and and they're talking about the, and they're giving prophecy Zechariah here in 172 gives a prophecy about Jesus coming and at one point he says that that the son of god was sent into the world to show the mercy the mercy in a world full of undeserving sinners far from god god out of his love and mercy sent his son into the world his desire was to redeem and reconcile. and It led to him sending his son into our world to bring salvation. That's mercy. It's a picture of mercy. Then in Jesus' teaching in Luke 10, 25 through 37, here we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mercy illustrated in Jesus' teaching, and he gives us the illustration for this message because in that a parable of the Good Samaritan, what he talks about is he talks about this man who was left for dead on the side of the road and two religious people. Um, first, uh, there was a priest and then a Levite that passed by, and they saw him on the side of the road, and they just, just passed on by. Then a Samaritan of all people, often discriminated against as a, as a community, is walking along, sees this man, and what the passage says is it says the Samaritan saw him, had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds. And Jesus uses that illustration, and he says that picture of showing mercy, and he says, you go and do likewise. Mercy. Luke 23, 24, Jesus is hanging on the cross between two criminals, the Son of God, completely clean from sin, is hanging on the cross between two criminals. He looks out at the people who are jeering him and mocking him, satisfied that they have him on the cross, and here's what he says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. With nails in his hands and feet, breathing his last breaths, he gives a moment 
to declare mercy. Acts 7, 59 through 60. The heart of Jesus is seen brightly when Stephen is being stoned for his faith in Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't fight back. He doesn't take up arms. Stephen says in the last moments of his life with for certain the spirit of Jesus over his heart. He looks out and he says, do you remember this? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How in the world with stones being literally thrown at you in the moment that your life is being taken from you to declare that while being murdered. The only word that can describe that powerful moment is the word mercy. Then Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus again in another parable, this one, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And if you aren't familiar with this one, in this parable, a king is addressing one of his servants and the servant owes him a significant amount of money and the punishment for not repaying the debt means that um, now what's going to happen is the servant and his family are going to be sold into slavery to pay the debt and the, the servant pleads for mercy and, and the king grants it to him and he gets up and he rejoices and the same servant walks over here and encounters a fellow servant who owed him some money and he starts to choke the servant and has him thrown in prison. Well, the king hears about that, doesn't go well. And the king encounters the servant and here's what Jesus says in this parable the king says to this person, Matthew 18, 32 and 33, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Has I had mercy on you? And the message is clear here. There's something wrong if we've received mercy and yet we show judgment. It's a tension that we're supposed to live with that Jesus presents in this parable. And then James 3.13, final summary statement of mercy so beautifully articulated by James really should be a distinguishing mark of God's kingdom culture. James says this, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what I want us to see is we've gotten this biblical picture of mercy from a few different angles or vantage points. I want you to see there's a biblical pattern of mercy. And I want you to write this down to make sure you note this because this is what we're chasing, we're asking God to do in us. Here it is first, see with compassion. Eyes opened, see with compassion. Don't just see, don't just see. The priest and the Levite, they saw, they saw and they passed by. See with compassion and then seek to relieve suffering. Seek to relieve suffering. So how? How do you get to the point where, unlike our culture, that kingdom culture will infiltrate in and you receive mercy and literally become a person that like Jesus is saying here, he's saying blessed are those who are merciful, where this actually becomes the identity, the predominant identity of your life. How? Remember, church, again, this is why we've reemphasized it every week. This is a be attitude. 
your first move cannot be a do move here. Okay, you can't just be like, well, well, okay, what I need to do is when I see something, I need to think of the five things I could do because that's not sustainable. It won't last. You'll, you'll be doing it in your own effort, in your own strength. It's a B move. There's no steps. There's no like, hey, there's five really easy steps to become a more merciful person. They don't exist. The default of our heart and the weight and the, 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 the pressure of what our culture directs us towards will never lead to that end promise you. The only way that you get there is by orienting your life around and through and in the reality of the gospel. And, and that, that reorienting of your life comes by abiding with Christ, by living with him, by knowing him, by letting his identity become your identity, by seeing like he sees, by yielding to his spirit so it pervades over your thinking and your mind and your heart. You need his example. You need his work in your life. You need the power of God's spirit to form mercy in you. It is a miraculous work to produce a fruit in a person's life where it's like, merciful, merciful. Start by seeing the beauty of mercy to become merciful. Peter saw this. Peter was a man who needed mercy, right? Remember? Peter, the one who denied Christ. Peter, the one who seemed like he was ready to run in all directions regardless of whether they were right or not. Peter, in 1 Peter 1, very beginning, 3 and 4, writes this. Blessed, blessed. There's that word again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us, turned us, reached us, turned our heart, opened our eyes, brought the scales off of our blindness so that we could see his glorious gospel clearly. He caused us to be born again, changed, transformed, made new to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. At that point, Peter, you're like, sermon done. Let's all sing a song and go home. I got enough. Like, think about what he's saying here. He's like, this great mercy, like, like just sit in it. This new life in Christ like, that, that's caused you to be born again. Loved and adopted and secured, caused by Christ, his grace and mercy, undeserved, the resurrection of Christ, the victory that you have through a Christ's resurrection, that yes, he died for your sins, but then he rose again to declare his victory over sin and death. Mercy, mercy. Promise of inheritance, all the goodness of God, his presence, his power, all of it, perfect eternity, revealed, already experienced partially, but set apart fully for us in eternity. As I was thinking about it this week, I was like, you know what? You know what, church? Like, no moral or financial recession can touch the value of that. Can touch it. Nothing that happens in your life or my life or in the world can touch the value of that inheritance. Mercy. Great mercy. Realize what you've received in Christ. Live in light of the, the, the beauty and the power and the depth of the gospel. 
follow his model if you want to, to, to see pictures of mercy. Uh, allow his perspective to change the way that you see. Uh, allow the spirit of God to pervade in such a way that as you realize the value and the mercy that you've received, it literally has a way of expanding the, the capacity of your heart. Feel the need for others differently. Begin to see and to move. Watch your priorities change and as you, you'll start to find yourself moving to relieve a suffering in places where you might have just walked by. It's a supernatural, miraculous work of God and Jesus offers it to us. And he says, you can have it. I'll form it in you. And it can happen in a moment I've seen it in my own life. Eyes open suddenly and you see something and you're like, I'm moving towards that. Or sometimes it can happen progressively over time in your life, unfolding moment by moment. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, if you really see God's mercy towards you, if you see the condemnation that you deserve and the wrath that you rightly should receive and then see God's salvation and his love and his mercy and his graciousness, if you're being transformed in the likeness of Christ, mercy will grow in you. See with compassion, seek to relieve suffering. And so as mercy grows, what I want us to see here is that there's three places, I'm sure I could have thought of more. I'll just give you three this morning. Three places where mercy should be working itself out through you. And I'm gonna give you illustrations from ways I've seen this playing out in our church, in the lives of so many of you that are sitting right here this morning, vision for mercy, see and seek where people are suffering. Remember, mercy enters into suffering. First, first category is suffering because of the fallen world. Suffering because of the fallen world. And um, we want to see and we want to seek here. So many different places, right church, where this can play out, where we see the fallenness in our world this past week, I got an email from a man in our church who, for a number of, honestly, months, um, they've been unable to come uh, to services and following online, and the reason why they haven't been able to come is because of the degree of care that his aging mother has needed. And, and, and honestly, a great grace that they have the capacity even to care for her, and uh, she passed away this uh, week, uh, this past week, surrounded by family. He wrote an email to Pastor Jeremy and I, and he said this. He said, we got her to the finish line with an exclamation point. Oh, man. What a huge sacrifice they gave to care for her. That inspires me because it is a beautiful picture of mercy. It's a beautiful picture of mercy. And I know so many of you are caring for some aging parents or aging family members, and I just want you to know it is a beautiful picture of mercy to the degree that you have capacity to care for them. I know there's situations where you just can't. It is beautiful, and it is a picture of the gospel. There's opportunities to show mercy in our community that we talk about. Let the mercy of God lead you to connect with one of our community partners. Thank you for the piles of mashed potatoes out there that are gonna be given to the Muskegon Rescue Mission. 
I mean, like, like what, what a glorious picture, like, of caring for people who are needy and poor. We, we think about a Hope Project, another one of our partners who are caring for women coming out of sex trafficking or Fresh Coast Alliance, caring for uh, men and women coming out of incarceration. And, and, and listen, that's our focus, those ministries, but don't be limited by those. Don't be limited by those. We've recently changed some things. In the past a few years, we sort of, our community groups in our church that meet together, we, we sort of assigned them a community partner, but then we said, what are we doing? So, so more recently, we've told our community group leaders, no, no, I want your group to pray about where God would move them in mercy, and I want your group to move to that. Whatever it might be, if it's one of our partners, awesome, we're gonna continue to support them. If it's beyond that, even better, if it comes out of a heart of mercy being born in the group. And so we're continue to rally support around those things. If maybe, maybe God has something specific for you that hasn't even started. Maybe in your, in your workplace or in your school or, or, or in your neighborhood or community that you've seen with compassion and you wanna, and you wanna seek to relieve suffering. Recently, I came, I was at Aldea and, I, and I, I, I ran to this group, I saw this group of people that I knew and a few different people I knew in this group and one of the women in this group was, goes to our church and I asked them what they were meeting together and they said it was one of the first gathering points of this community called Open Frame. Listen to this, Open Frame exists for those living with and healing from loss due to overdose. I was like, that's mercy. That's mercy. We see the prayer requests. We know that some of the people in this church that are struggling with people who are struggling with addiction or who have lost people because of that. And what a great picture of mercy. And so I just challenge you this morning, like how could God lead you? How could God lead you? And maybe it's gonna be just for a moment. Maybe it's just gonna be a single opportunity or maybe it's gonna lead to a series of opportunities and maybe it's gonna lead to a series of opportunities that leads to a series of opportunities for multiple people to be a part of. Man. It could be ministries in our church that you get involved in because you have a compassion or a love for a certain group of people. It could be in our community or God wants to do something new through you. But remember, remember, remember that, that, that our vision for mercy starts by being with the one who is merciful first. And then his mercy can be released through you. Never forget the biblical pattern. See with compassion. Seek to relieve suffering. That's suffering because of the fallen world. Second, this category. Suffering because of personal sin. So now we're talking about someone who is stuck in or repeating in a pattern of sin. How do we approach with mercy in that? What's our responsibility regarding mercy? Look with me. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, what's the word there, church? Gentleness, a synonym for mercy. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Like if you were to squeeze this passage, mercy would just drip out. Like it's so full of mercy. People, seeing people stuck in a transgression and not just being like, man, that really stinks for them. I hope God brings them down so they repent. No. You who are spiritual, you who have spiritual eyes to see that it's wrong, should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Careful that you would not be tempted 
But then look, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Church, church, we, we love to take this passage, the bear one another's burdens part, and we're like, mm, when someone's moving, I just love to help them moving. I love to help them move their stuff into their new home. And we love to do these sort of tasks, task ideas of bear one another's burdens. But the context of the passage is talking about when someone is dealing with sin, when they're entangled. That's the burden it's referring to here specifically. Listen, listen, mercy, mercy never fails to respond to or is passive to sin. So don't, don't believe that mercy is this sort of thing like when someone's struggling in sin, you're just like, well, I'm just gonna wait over here. I'm just gonna be passive. I'm not gonna say anything. I don't wanna make it harder or now make it awkward in our relationship. Mercy never fails to respond or is passive to sin. Now, mercy, listen, church, it doesn't pass by. Mercy doesn't excuse sin. Mercy doesn't support sin. Mercy doesn't enable sin. Mercy doesn't coddle sin. But because it sees with compassion, when it sees someone caught in sin, it sees them. It sees the person. It sees the struggle. It sees the entanglement of that sin. And it starts, and I've seen this pattern in the way people have approached me, and at times by God's grace, the way I've approached other people. It, it thinks two thoughts that are, that are insanely merciful. First, you look at the person struggling with a transgression, and you go, if not for the grace of God and the yielding of the Spirit in my life right now, it could be me. It could be me. And in some of our stories, we look at stuff and we, go, it, we, we say, it was me. It was me. Two, I'm going to move to confront sin, but in moving to confront sin, I am pleading with God to move in front of me, trusting that God's already even at work in some ways, sometimes in ways that I don't want to be the case. And I'm going to walk slowly because I know the person needs to see the mercy, grace, and love of God, not judgment and not condemnation. And so then we, we can find ourselves in this place that I think we should be at in mercy where we're, we want to be marked by compassion in our approach and attitude towards sin. See, what happens is, is, is that in your life and in my life, too often we move to one of two extremes. We either move towards like harsh or over here, the other extreme is permissive. Permissive or harsh, right? That's how we tend to move when we deal with sin and a mercy is neither. Mercy comes in a spirit of gentleness. And the focus is on restoration. Lead the person to Jesus. Call them to yield to the Spirit. Point them to Scripture because you know that Scripture in the context of abiding with Christ is the only way the human heart gets transformed. And so listen, I know situations in my life and in yours, I'm certain, where you have shared something, maybe in a harsh way, or, 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 or you've, you've addressed an issue and the person's been obedient because their fear and shame is towards you. But that never produces real change or consistent obedience and we wonder why it's because we never led them to Jesus for the transformation we just led them to ourselves they need to see Jesus mercy will never give permission for sin and it will never move to being harsh we got to focus on restoration in all relationships in the kingdom of God you're going to end up in a situation where someone is struggling with sin and into this Galatians is encouraging us be merciful parents this is 
the battleground. This is the battleground. Permissive doesn't get it. Harsh does not get it. Mercy is the best chance to showcase the gospel to our kids. In marriages, not harsh, not permissive, mercy, compassion. In friendships, when we see people bent on sin in the world and we're processing through it, God forgive us for the, the, sort, of, the sort of shame and judgment that we launch on people in those moments. I can't believe this. I can't believe they would do this. Can you see how bad it's gotten in the world? That's not merciful. Mercy grieves. Mercy has compassion. Mercy's looking for ways to relieve suffering. When we comment on people's sinful position or lifestyle, even when it's diametrically opposed to the gospel or to the word of God, why do we believe? Why have we so convinced ourselves that in the spirit of truth, I'm going to speak out against it. And into the world, look, nothing like the character of Jesus, who is merciful and full of steadfast love, compassionate in every way. I think God has something more for us than the culture of this world painted with, painted in a very fake way with biblical language. The truth is, is that we're called to be merciful. Show them the gospel. Grieve with them. See with compassion. Seek to relieve suffering. That's so critical in this second category that suffering because of personal sin. Then this last, this last category is suffering when another person sins against you. Now, I want to try to be compassionate as I, and merciful as I navigate this one because I know I'm walking into places of deep pain in your life and in my life. See, you're called to be merciful even when a person sins against you. And as we're going to see, and I'm going to make the point very clear later in this series, is there are multiple places in the Sermon on the Mount where those of you who know God's word um, know that we're going to come right into some very specific circumstances that talk about how to respond when people sin against you. And he's setting it up right here with this beatitude. And so how? How do, we, how do we respond with mercy when someone sinned against us? Well, Colossians 3, 12 through 14 is a passage, I believe, written for those moments. Look at what's in the center of this passage. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Let my heart be secured in my relationship with God. Then out of that, um, only out of that can I have a compassionate heart. Notice the beatitude that starts at the very beginning of this passage. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Out of that, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, bearing with one another here literally means walking with each other in our, our weaknesses and sin. And if one has a complaint against one another, it doesn't give the degree there, church, it just says a complaint. Some of you are like, my, my complaint stings. And I'm like, I know, I know. If you have a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, you can see there that to the degree to which I understand God's mercy and forgiveness to me, my sin, out of that, I now have the capacity to forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
If you want to be merciful when someone sins against you, live out of this passage. Live out of it. It's why the passage says clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves doesn't mean that I learned something and then forgot it. Because if you did that with that passage, you'd be naked. Okay? So like, like you're supposed to clothe yourselves with it. It's supposed to go with you. It's supposed to be the lens out of which you think and live and operate. When someone sins against you, mercy works to believe the best as opposed to rushing to judgment. Your desire, as Matthew 18 says, is to gain your brother or sister. But even when the sin continues, even when it it, it destroys or divides the relationship or when separation is needed for your protection, hear me, I'm speaking to some people in this room because that's the point at which it's gotten for you, God calls us still to be extremely careful about letting judgment triumph over mercy. Because the person whose life has been completely redeemed by the gospel and understands the depth of their own depravity increasingly goes, even in the situation where I've been sinned against and it's been personal for me, God can still move. And so I want to remain like Jesus Christ is for anybody whose, whose eyes are still blinded to him or continuing to pursue things that are not God's heart for them, God's attitude, his perspective, his, his resting uh, like perception of them is, I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to forgive. I'm standing in a posture of mercy towards the situation where I've been sinned against. Again, testimonies from the church have just been blowing me away. Like There are some circumstances that, that I, I literally heard about these this week, like the week leading up to the mercy message. Like the timing is just so unbelievably miraculous that I had to share a few of them. There's a woman in our church this week who I was talking to who knows that she needs to show mercy to her mother-in-law and sinful actions have caused a consistent tension and As I talked to her this week, she talked about a moment in community group when they were talking about the reality of the gospel and and mercy, and there was this moment of like, oh my goodness. And in that moment, as the gospel did its work on her heart, she just recognized, like, convicted by what Christ had done for her, she she saw her mother-in-law differently, and she saw that she needs to show mercy instead of resentment or judgment, and she admitted to me, I'm still working this out. It's God's mercy at work. There's another person in our church who had an aunt. She was telling me this week about an aunt who treated her with hatred and verbal abuse and because it was really needed, had not seen her in 10 years. And then, in the past few weeks, her her aunt is now, because of a variety of medical circumstances, she's on her deathbed. And because of the way mercy was working, This person went to her aunt and had this moment, literally moments, hours before she passed, just to be there and in her presence, the emotion that her aunt received and the way her aunt responded, unable to even really speak, was of gratitude and graciousness and joy of the mercy that had been shown to her. This person could have been like, 
Let her die. I'm not going to go talk to her. She did nothing but harm to my life. But mercy moves to those situations. And mercy produced a fruit that was so encouraging to this woman. Mercy on display. This past year, God has redeemed a relationship where a perspective was formed and I had to sort of sit with it with this person. I couldn't reconcile it for a variety of reasons and God just gave me a compassionate heart towards this person and I just continued to pray and see that there were circumstances that it clearly misled this person. I just waited and I remember even Pastor Jeremy being encouragement to me and then through some unbelievably spirit-led events in my heart and in this other person's there was this awesome moment of forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationship and literally he texted me this week just uh, just rejoicing in our restored relationship and the fruit of it. Beautiful mercy. And I wrote down this week, like you can either be broken by another person's sin or you can be broken for the person. Mercy calls us to be broken for people. See with compassion, seek to relieve suffering. In the culture of God's kingdom, he wants us to be merciful. And so if you're hearing this message, like I was studying it this week, there's a sense where you could just go, uh, you're confronted, like, am I walking with God in mercy? Or what still needs the work of the gospel to bring healing and restoration to my heart? See, sometimes the reason why we're not merciful is because we haven't yet allowed the mercy of God to pervade over our hearts, over our sin, over the way we've sinned against God. And so I just encourage you in this moment just to I believe through the work of God's spirit, I believe in this message, I believe that God wants to bring a weight of God's mercy over your life. And when that begins to fill your life, let, let it yield to it and God will fill you up and then that will begin to overflow in mercy. It's a beautiful, miraculous, natural work of the gospel. And let that mercy overflow to our fallen world, to people stuck in sin, to people who sin against us. Spend your energy on receiving and showing mercy. Another aspect of a flourishing life in the kingdom of God. Let it mark our culture. Let's pray. God, I, I want so badly for, for this, not just to pervade over the hearts of the of the people in our church who, who I love so much, I want it to pervade over my heart. And God, I feel the, the call of this message. I see in my own life the places that I've failed. The relationships that have been hurt by my lack of mercy. The places in my own life where I've been hurt by a lack of mercy. But not with you, God not with you. Before the foundation of the world, you, you loved me. You loved us. And you entered into that world knowing exactly what you would face. Knowing the pain and the suffering. Knowing the temptation and the loss. Knowing the people who would follow you, but also the people who would mock you and spit on you and desecrate your body and nail it to a cross. You knew the cost, God, and you 
declare that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. There's something about mercy that draws us. Let it draw us to you. There's something about mercy that fills us, God. Let us be filled at the foot of the cross. There's something that sends us and opens our eyes and compels us to respond, God. Would you, would you fill our lives with that spirit? Would you help us to deny the culture of this world? To not, to not allow the culture of the world to infiltrate in such a way that we justify our actions or try to justify them biblically. But God, let us see that these beatitudes are realities and and, and, and ways that you want us to live that are so dependent on us knowing your heart. And so, God, thank you for showing it to us. Lead us to be a merciful people and through that to shine brightly to our world that is so dark and so judgmental, God. We grieve over that, but we have great joy and hope knowing what is the possibility because of the gospel. So do it, God, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen.